Dave will be bringing us the message this morning. Take up your cross. Dave, thank you. We pray for you before before you begin. Please. Heavenly Father, we lift Dave up to you. We place him in your hands, Lord, and we pray for a fresh anointing upon him, Lord. May he be your mouthpiece, Lord. Use him to bring your word to your people, Lord. Bless him, strengthen him, protect him, cover him, Lord. We thank you for him and for his life and for his and for the anointing you've given him, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. Morning, everybody. Gates, I have hot water ready for tea, but uh, it can be a distraction, can't it? We're continuing our service and our study and uh, our journey on the cross. And um, I don't know what kind of week you've had. Some of us have brilliant weeks. Some of us had average weeks. Some of us had dreadful weeks. But God is still God. So, some of us had, a, had an argument this morning. Some of us got up and enjoyed a joyful morning. Some of us woke up late because we didn't realise we needed to put the clock forward. And suddenly we realised, and then we were wondering, we're looking at one clock and saying, is that clock being updated automatically or is it, do I need to update it? Did you ever do that when you wake up in the morning, you wonder within the modern technology whether it's been updated or not? And then suddenly we're in a rush and we're in a hurry. Do you know what? One of the things I can say is that the cross stands at the centre of all time. The cross stands at the centre of who we are as Christians, stands at the centre of who we are as God's creation. So what does, God rep- what, what does the cross represent? Well, let's start with, it was a fulfilment of prophecy. In Genesis 3 verse 15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It was a fulfilment because the cross signed that, that Satan has been defeated. The cross, in, the cross in, in Jesus' time was a brutal, dreadful, challenging, shameful death. It wasn't the kind of thing that you, you said, well, my, my grandfather, he was crucified. That's not the kind of thing that you, 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 you kind of shared. It was brutal and challenging. And in Psalm 22, it says this, as we read of the sufferings. We, we read about sufferings in Scripture. David wrote very clearly about sufferings in Psalms. My God, this is David complaining to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot me out their lip. They shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. 
but you are he who took me out of the womb. You, are me, you made me trust whilst on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue clings to my jaw, and you have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they look and stare at me. They divide my garments amongst them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he was not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when we cry to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Now I want you to just note here, this is David writing a song. And listen to the words that I've shared. I'm not going to repeat them again. But just look how they synchronize with, with, with what happened on the cross. This was David crying out to God. I, I, am, I am worthless. End me. Bring this to an end. Why have you left me? Why have you? Do we not hear those words cried out from the cross by Christ? You know, so the cross represents our suffering. Here's an example of David crying out in suffering. And Jesus reflects on the cross as he cries out to his father. Where have you gone? Why have you left me? So I think this very clearly mirrors to us that Christ on the cross understands our suffering. I wonder what the cross means to you. I wonder whether you know someone who's had their reputation crucified. I wonder whether you know someone, or maybe it's true for you, where suddenly something that was has been taken away. Jesus teaches us to take up our cross. Crucifixion was for criminals. So why should we take up our cross? The nails, the torment, the agony were well known. When Jesus told his followers to take up the cross to follow him, it wasn't a pleasant proposition. I remember many, many years ago, somebody preaching on the cross at this time of year, when we were meeting in Manacroft School. 
And uh, they brought a big piece of wood along. And they brought some great big nails along. And as part of their sermon, they hammered a nail into the wood. And just, you know, these, were, these weren't little kind of nails that we used. The proper nails that you kind of, that were handcrafted. The great big nails. And it took an effort to hammer this nail in. And just the sound ringing around the room made it visceral. Made it realise that actually crucifixion was a horrible thing. So why would we want to take up our cross? I believe Jesus has a deeper meaning in mind. He wants us to put to death the things that are not of God. And he wants to see the things that are of him arise. As followers of Jesus, we need a 100% dedication to him. No turning back. No turning back. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have you ever done something? I've done, some, I've done things when I think, oh, I wish I could put that back in the box. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. But it's out there. It's happened. But you know, the best way to not have to put it back in the box is to never have taken it out of the box in the first place. And so that speaks to us changing. That speaks to us being different. When we find ourselves taking the same things out of the box again and again and again, and choosing again to please ourselves, we don't deny ourselves. And one of the things that I believe taking up our cross speaks of, it speaks of not denying who we are, but Denying the spirit that's in us, our fleshly nature, our selfishness. And God calls us to be selfless. God encourages us. Jesus gives us the example as he sacrificed his self on the cross, as he, was, as he died upon the cross. Now it's not easy to deny ourselves. Our sinful nature rises up. There are things that we should do. There are things that we do that we shouldn't do. And there are things that we shouldn't do that we do do. And there's the conflict. There's the battle. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So one easy, an easier way to deny yourself is to fulfill yourself with God's presence. Follow him and make his choices. So it's to, before we even look in the box, to adjust in our mindset. Jesus did this, as we read in Philippians 2 verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. One way to leave things where they belong is to take them to the cross and leave them there where they belong. So taking up our cross encourages us to put aside selfish desires, 
following God's will. It doesn't mean that we have to squash our personality or be unhappy, because God's plan is the best plan. We find fulfillment and contentment and unspeakable joy. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We need to guard our thoughts. Because this is where it starts. It starts in our heads when we start thinking. Where does temptation start? It starts in our response to a trigger. It starts in our response to a nice chocolate cake. And maybe we could treat ourselves and allow us one, but how many times have we had one and then a second, then a third, then a fourth? Let's guard our thoughts. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, as as Paul's closing out this letter, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's how we guard our thoughts. He's ending out a letter here, and we've been looking at this in our daytime Bible study with Lexio Divina, as as, as Pete Gregg is encouraging us to meditate, to pause, to consider, to allow things to sink in. If the water of God's word stays on the surface of who we are, then it doesn't bear any, 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 any benefit. It doesn't soak in and cause us to walk a different way, to make a different choice. Has anybody ever been in prison? Maybe visiting? Maybe, maybe on a tour? Um, if there's one way of um, discouraging people from... Uh, criminal choices is to put them in a cell and shut the door. Simeon Sterney, who's been a long-time connection to Running Me Christian Fellowship, he used to be the chaplain at Bronzefield. And uh, I've I've visited a number of times in the prison and talked to some of the prisoners. And one of the things they hate, you know what it was? It wasn't the shutting of the door. It was the jangling of the keys. Because every time the keys jangled, there was a sign that someone could, open, someone could open the door and let them out. But sometimes they'd hear the keys jangling. It wasn't their door that was opening. As somebody else was being escorted somewhere else. And it just said that, that raise of expectation that they were going to get out and get some fresh air and get out into the yard or get out into a bigger space. And then that disappointment when the, the guard walked by and let somebody else free. In Colossians 3, I'm not going to read all of this. It's three, I'll, I'll let you read the, the whole of the scripture yourself, verses 5 to 17. But just let me read a couple of verses. Here. Therefore, put to death your members, which are earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves were once walked when you lived in them. But now... You yourselves are put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, and according to the image of him who created him. So that image of putting aside our fleshly desires, and choosing the desires of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. You know, it is a choice we make whether we're going to be kind. It is a choice we make whether we're going to be gentle. It's a choice we make to forgive. And it's so easy to allow things like fear and conflict and jealousy to rise up. That's not fair. How many times do you hear that? People wanting to say, I want my peace, I, I want my fair share. So let me encourage us to run the race, to run the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The only way we can win is to begin running the race. We don't win a prize if we don't start. And so when Christ says, take up your cross and follow me, he's leading by example. It's different for each one of us. Each one of us has our own journey, our own path, our own way. Our own feelings, our own awkwardness. But we can look to the cross, we can look to Christ, and we can look to him hanging there and think, he knew, he knows, he understands. And so therefore, when we're encouraged to take up our cross and follow him, we lay aside the things of ourselves and take on the things of the Father. The compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness might be manifest in you and me. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. Do you know when we take up our cross and follow him, we broadcast the good news of the gospel. Because instead of it being our selfish nature, it's his selfless nature that shines in us and for us and through us. I can't remember the I've used this I can't remember the last time I used this phrase, but I've often talked about shiny people. And it's not because they've, they've, they've just done some exercise and they've got a little sheen on their face because they've been in the gym. It's because they shine from the inside out. Eat despite what's going on. 
And there's almost like when they smile, they reveal something inside. The smile is so much bigger than just the, the parting of the lips. The eyes smile, the body smiles. And I hope that each one of us can be a shiny person this week. That we can take light into a dark place. We can take positiveness into negative situations. We can take wisdom and, and, and prophetic words, God's words, into moments of confusion to bring clarity. So, church, let's run the race. Let's not not start. Let's not not turn up. Let's run the race that he's called us to run. And let's take up our cross. Now, taking that image of running a race and taking up our cross seems crazy. seems like we've already snagged ourselves and we're kind of already creating an obstacle race of what seems like a marathon in the first place. But you know what? When we take up our cross, he helps us carry it. He doesn't just go, there you go, carry your cross, just like I did. See? It's not easy. Just as the Father enabled the Son the Father enables us to carry our cross. Do you know what? The more we carry it, the less it weighs. Because we give it back to him. We just say, Lord, I, I can't do it in my own strength. I need you. And when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we run out. When we come to the end of ourselves, we run out. And that's when, if we allow him, he can step in. Lord, help me. I am weak. Make me strong. I am poor. Make me rich. Fill me with all that I need. So let me encourage you to run the race this morning, this week. We stepped into summertime, this summer. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the strange things as I was preparing for this and reading through, and that's one of the reasons why I read so much of Psalm 22, was uh, for those who love Handel's Messiah, that those particular words are literally word for word in the Messiah. He trusted in God. You know, it's in one of the choruses that the, uh, the choir sing. And so for anybody, you've already probably got some tunes running around your head just because I've just connected that for you again. And the end of the second part of the Messiah is known as the Hallelujah Chorus. And the Hallelujah Chorus um, has a tradition built around it because it so moved the king when he first heard it that he stood up. And it, because the king stood, everybody else stood. And so there's, there's been a bit of a tradition ever since then that often when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung, people stand. And I just think it's a reflection Hallelujah. God, you're here. And I want that to be true for everyone today. That hallelujah. Lord, you're here. Hallelujah. I don't have to do this on my own. I can do it with you. And so the thought of taking up our cross and laying aside something of ourselves seems hard. But you know what? Once we start doing it, it becomes easier. It becomes a lifestyle. A decision becomes a choice. A choice becomes a habit. A habit becomes a lifestyle. And I've even seen some research on this that talks about seven times. 
If you make, you know, if, if you, let, let, let's, let's say you're a smoker and you want to give up smoking, the first day you decide, I'm not going to do it today. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. In seven days, suddenly those, those choices have become a habit. And then seven weeks, and then suddenly it's become a lifestyle. And if we find it hard, then we need God's help to help us to do that. Whether that, whatever that is that we need to step out of. Because it's very easy to get stuck on the rails. My father-in-law told me a story many years ago about how he was riding down a particular street in Coventry and there were tram lines in the road. And he, he got his bike stuck in the tram lines. He was riding down and slipped into the tram lines and he couldn't get out and he ended up falling off his bike. Sometimes we can get stuck in the tram lines of life. Sometimes we can get stuck in, in particular ways of thinking. It doesn't mean we have to fall over. We just need to ask somebody to help us out. Help us out of uh, the tram lines that we're in. So let me encourage you to pour the love of Christ into yourself. Allow the love of Christ to be poured in you so that the love of Christ can be poured into others. And that's where we get the power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us and enable us. We can't do it on our own. If we're thinking of taking up our cross, then we need to do it with mercy and love, forgiveness and grace. Let's focus on him and do this selflessly rather than selfishly. Let me pray. Father God, we want to be more like your son. And Lord, often our self gets in the way. Often our ways, our habits, our choices get in the way. So Father, help us to lift our eyes up from looking at ourselves and get our eyes to look at the cross, to look through the cross to the Father, to be thankful for the Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us, that we might know the fullness, the fullness of his presence in our lives. Help us today to take up our cross and follow him. Help us to be more like him, we pray. Father, help us to go the extra mile. Help us to give the extra minute. Help us to take the extra moment to share, to talk, to give, so that more of your light might be manifest in our worlds, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.